The Fanboy, episode 128. Hi everybody, Mario Francisco Robles, MFR here with you, and this is episode 128 of the Fanboy Podcast. How's everybody doing out there? So, folks, we're here. We are here. We are less than one week away from the arrival of Zack Snyder's Justice League on HBO Max. And as someone who's been tracking this story for the better part of the last five or six years, it feels kind of crazy to feel like, wow, it's actually happening. This much ballyhooed movie, this much vaunted alternate cut of Justice League, the original version of what Justice League was meant to be, is going to be arriving for our eyes to feast on at last this coming March 18th on HBO Max. And I feel like as part of the arrival of the Snyder Cut, we kind of we, we got to recap some of the latest crazy stories involving this already crazy project. Because earlier this week, there was something that I bet nobody had on their uh, 2021 bingo card, <laughs> which was some people a few days ago pressed play on the Tom and Jerry movie on HBO Max. And what did they see when they pressed play? Not Tom and Jerry, no, but rather Zack Snyder's Justice League. Somehow it ended up uploaded onto the HBO Max server, but only if you watched Tom and Jerry, like you would see it there when you clicked on Tom and Jerry. And then they fixed it within a couple hours. But to me, that's just like the latest example of just what an insane story this has been. So many wild twists and turns, things that you couldn't see coming. I mean, in all honesty, the movie has an uphill battle, and it's not in terms of being any good. It's in terms of being better than the stories that led to it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Being better than all the crazy stories that came out on its way to being official, on its way to being released. The movie has to try to live up to all that, because I swear, the behind the scenes on this has been almost more entertaining than most movies I've seen. Um, and of course, you know, Ray Fisher... Mr. Cyborg himself, Mr. Borg Life, took to Twitter later that day after the leak to say, hey, you know what beats a leak? A flood of views on HBO Max. On March 18th, we're watching Zack Snyder's Justice League on repeat all day long. Who's streaming with me? And, you know, it's funny because I, I mentioned that tactic last week. Remember on last week's show, I mentioned, now I bet. Some of are thinking that if you just play Justice League over and over again, that's going to be enough to get HBO Max to, you know, ask for more of the Snyderverse. But remember, contrary to what Mr. Fisher is asking you to do, which you know, I'm sure couldn't hurt. But remember, the main thing that HBO Max needs to see from you, if they even want to consider giving you more of these films, is... Not only that you signed on, not only that you streamed it, but also that you kept HBO Max for a few months afterward. Because see, there's this misconception. There's this misconception that this is going to go exactly the way that Wonder Woman 1984 went. 
If you'll recall, within three days of Wonder Woman 1984 arriving on HBO Max, there was an announcement of a Wonder Woman 3 with Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot returning. So people are saying, wow, so it only takes two or three days for them to see the numbers and make that decision. But see, if you look at it that way, you're you're having selective vision and you're missing the grander context of how we got to a Wonder Woman 3. Because Wonder Woman 3, or Wonder Woman 84 rather, that wasn't an HBO Max production. That was a Warner Brothers production. So at the end of the day, it was a Warner Brothers decision as to whether or not they wanted to move forward on more of this Wonder Woman stuff. HBO Max was just the platform that brought it to you. So they weren't even really necessarily part of that decision. You know, the main film studio makes that call and they saw numbers that HBO Max was reporting back to them internally because they are all owned by the same entity. And they were seeing the numbers and going, "Okay, this justifies a Wonder Woman 3. And on top of that, if we're being honest, I think they must have pre-greenlit Wonder Woman 3 in order to get Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot and all the other participating partners and producers on the ser- on the on the film to agree to allow the movie to air on HBO Max. They probably said, "Listen, we know you're going to take a big cut because we're not going to have box office revenue for this movie, but we're going to make sure that a third one gets made if the numbers are halfway decent but i feel like it must have been part of the deal already that wonder woman 3 is coming no matter what if as long as you agree to let us air this on hbo max that's just kind of like my hunch my read on the situation but there's a great big difference between what happened with ww84 and what could be happening with zsjl2 since we're sticking with initials for the time being because remember The Wonder Woman movies are a Warner Brothers property, and they've always been intent on giving us more Wonder Woman. The first Wonder Woman movie was the first true runaway success of the DCEU. Wonder Woman 84, even though the reviews ultimately weren't quite as favorable, it was still a well-received and positive film, and they see a lot of positive equity built into Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman and her pairing with Patty Jenkins behind the camera. They still see that as a path to success for them. So them greenlighting Wonder Woman 3 was practically a foregone conclusion. But in the case of Zack Snyder's Justice League, it's anything but. In the case of Zack Snyder's Justice League, the question of whether or not to resume it is going to be entirely up to HBO Max this time. Because Warner Brothers wants nothing to do with the Snyderverse. Warner Brothers has moved on. Warner Brothers has, has they've already got a number of other irons in the fire. And Toby Emmerich and, and the folks running the film division have no interest whatsoever in trying to reopen the Snyderverse and reactivate some of those old storylines. It's just not what they're trying to do. They're not trying to make more DC movies that skew older. You know, they don't want that to be their main brand. They're happy when a Joker comes out and makes a billion bucks. They're happy about that, but they're not trying to make the DCEU a mature, not kid-friendly franchise. And that is exactly what these next few Justice League movies will be. It'll be more of this continued adult-skewing content, which honestly makes it perfect for HBO Max. So that's why... You know, Warner Brothers has moved on. The only hope this thing has of continuing is if HBO Max decides they want to give their customers more of this product, more of this property. And you got to remember, it's a much different request this time. 
because you're not asking them to just pony up whatever few million dollars it'll take to finish a pre-existing movie. You're asking them to plop down 200, 250 million dollars for each of these sequels. You know, these movies are very expensive to make. The reason that Zack Snyder's Justice League looks as amazing as it does is that there was already over $300 million poured into this production. If he were to try to create something like this, basically from scratch after this, tries to go back in there and get things ready for JL2 and 3, he's going to need that kind of budget two more times. So HBO Max is going to need much more than just a few days of constant streaming. They're going to have to know that this customer base is reliable and steady and, you know, that it, it's worth investing all of this and trying to get Ben Affleck to sign a new deal and trying to get Gal Gadot and Ezra Miller and Jason Momoa to add new movies to their deal so they could do those on the side of whatever's going on on the big screen. I mean, listen, it's a very, like I keep saying, it's a tall ask. So as we go into this, as we go into March 18th, I just feel like I want my listeners, I want my viewers to go into this with realistic expectations so that we're not all disappointed again. You know, because I lived through the disappointment the first time. You know, in 2017, when that first film came out, I got to experience what it was like to watch an entire generation of DC on film fans realize, whoa, what the hell just happened here? You know, the first Justice League movie got completely remade and mangled and turned into something different. It became a much more sort of forgettable, vanilla experience. Here we are, the first ever Justice League movie, and people seemingly have forgotten about this theatrical cut a few weeks later. Like, it was such a, it was such a mind-blowing sort of disappointment when that film came out. And in general, for those of us who've been waiting for the first ever meeting of these iconic heroes on the big screen to fight Darkseid, which is what was being set up in BVS. For those of us who were waiting for that, it never came. And even for those of us who wanted something different, Justice League just didn't grab a lot of people's attention at the time. So I don't want to go through a second wave of disappointment when Zack Snyder's Justice League comes out. So if you're going to watch the movie, you got to be realistic about what you're watching. You're watching an alternate cut of a path that we're not likely to continue down. All right. Listen, if it happens, it'd be amazing. I'd be all for it. Bring on the air cut. Bring on Batman Deathstroke stuff. Listen, I would love to see more of what Zack Snyder and company were planning. I just feel like realistically, we all have to kind of know what to expect once this movie comes and goes. All right. We, we can't be expecting that within three days they're going to green light part two because this is not a Wonder Woman 1984 type of scenario where the film studio wants to make a third movie anyway. The studio in this case wants nothing to do with JL2 and 3. And even Zack Snyder seems to know that because he was asked about the canon situation. That was a topic I saw pop up a lot on the Twitter this week. Lots of people were discussing that now that Zack Snyder's Justice League is coming out, does this officially become canon for the DCEU? Do these other movies that are coming out all have to sort of respond to what happened in Zack Snyder's Justice League? And here's what he had to say about that. Snyder said, it's interesting, sort of in the DCU or whatever it's become, that that trilogy 
comprised of Man of Steel, Batman vs. Superman, Justice League, sort of insulates itself in some ways and becomes its own thing now. I famously said, and it's true, this isn't controversial, my Justice League is not canon, right? Canon for Warner Brothers is the Joss Whedon version of Justice League. In their mind, that's canon. And what I'm doing is not. Everything is not. So it's just an interesting, that relationship. And, and I'm fine with it because I feel like the only way that I could have made this film with autonomy was because of that. Because of me admitting and agreeing to the fact that it is not canon. He went on to say, The grander, greater concept for the DCEU is on another road. And there's nothing I can do about that. That is just, it is what it is. It's not my decision. And finally, this is all this week in a recent interview. These are all the things that Snyder had to say about the canon situation. He also said, the reality is, as far as I know, there is no interest and or appetite to do more of these movies from Warner Brothers, with me anyway. But I didn't think making this, finishing this film correctly would ever happen. But I did do my best to, as far as the creation of the Justice League, those different personalities being brought together, that idea, that's what this movie is about. There is, there is a suggestion, of course, in the film, as there would be within any of these movies, of a larger universe that's still out there. So there he kind of just leaves open the fact that, yes, this is going to tease other stuff. The very nature of these kinds of stories is to tease a larger world, right? And we know that in this particular case, you know, it's going to end on some sort of cliffhanger. He's already announced and revealed that. That's not a surprise. Remember, that was something I was very curious about several months back, which was, is he going to try to give this a proper conclusion? Or is this going to end in a way where all people are going to want now are more stories? And it sounds like he's going to end it with more stories. And this thing that he's talking about, this larger universe, is we're going to get a tease of Darkseid and his invading forces now coming to Earth after the Justice League has dealt with Steppenwolf. So th there's that and all kinds of other teases in the moments between Jared Leto's Joker and Batman and Deathstroke. There's all kinds of things he's going to be putting in there that could conceivably get continued in you know later installments. So those teasers are still going to be there. And honestly, it gives me very mixed feelings about all this. Because knowing what I know, knowing that it's incredibly unlikely that we're going to get sequels, um, it feels to me like once again we're going to be left hanging. Because this is going to end with a cliffhanger that in theory is going to make a, a segment of the audience go, I need to see what comes next. But to offer that up at a time when there's an unrealistic chance of sharing what's next, um, yeah, to me, it just makes things sort of confusing. Like, it feels like usually you go into a movie and you're ready to kind of know, like, okay, if this is awesome, I can't wait to see what happens next. But now, no matter what any of us ends up thinking of Zack Snyder's Justice League and of the seeds being planted... When it's over, no matter how excited we are when it says for autumn and the credits start to roll, no matter how pumped and on the edge of our seats we might be, there's still a very minuscule chance that we ever get to see anything else of that. 
And I feel like in the grand in the grand scheme of things, I I wonder like will that make people second guess how much they campaigned for this? Because you know if they felt like they came into Justice League and were left hanging by what they saw when they saw Joss Whedon's version. Are they also going to feel left hanging if they see Zack Snyder's Justice League and we don't get the actual rest of the story that he starts in this movie? You know, it's going to be interesting to sort of dissect that in the years to come. There's no real way of knowing now. We can't do a post-mortem, you know, six days before it comes out. But it is just an interesting, interesting thing to think about. Because I want you to ask yourself, you know, if this movie comes out and you end up loving it to pieces, but weeks and months go by after March 18th without any sort of announcement of a part two, are you going to feel let down or are you going to be satisfied appreciating it for what it was, which was a look, a tease of what might have been not the full, you know, not the full revelation of what might have been, but a tease of things that we could have gotten down the line in some alternate future. Will that be satisfying to you? Or will you not be satisfied until every last bit of the original plan comes to life? Because that's going to be interesting to kind of see how you, you know, how you deal with those feelings, considering kind of where we're at, you know? So I am very curious about how we're all dealing with that. I'm also very curious just about how we got, you know, some of what's going to get teased in this involves Deathstroke and Batman and Joe Manganiello really revealed some interesting new information this week on different interviews talking about the disappointments of all of the different times he could have been Deathstroke falling through. He says there were like seven different plans for the character at one point, aside from appearing in, in Ben Affleck's The Batman, aside from appearing possibly in Suicide Squad 2, aside from getting his own movie, you know, there were lots of little plans that Joe Manganiello had to sort of wave goodbye to. But the thing that he revealed this week that blew my mind and got me disappointed. See, maybe when I ask you, are you going to be disappointed? I think it's because I am definitely already pre-disappointed that we're not getting some of this stuff. Because what he said was that when he spoke to Ben Affleck about the Batman Deathstroke sort of dynamic that he wants to bring to light in the film... Ben Affleck apparently showed him, and he referenced the, the epic fight scene between Deathstroke and Batman in the Arkham Origins video game. And for a lot of fans, that Batman-Deathstroke dynamic is like a dream come true. People, you know, people loved that. People referenced that fight scene all the time, the tone of it, the way it's, the way it is sort of, the way the battle unfolds, the way Deathstroke really does go toe-to-toe with Batman, the tense dialogue in between all the martial arts fighting. Like, it reminds me of how, like, when BVS came out, People were thinking of the Arkham games and they were so excited about the warehouse scene because it felt like the Arkham games come to life, right? And then when we started hearing that Deathstroke is going to be in the Batman movie, I think a lot of us made the next connection to, ooh, wouldn't it be amazing if they adapted what happened in Arkham Origins? If it looked and felt like that, wouldn't that be cool? And then apparently Affleck was thinking the same thing. You know, just like Snyder worked in that warehouse scene that feels very Arkham video gamey, 
it sounds like Ben Affleck also wanted to bring an Arkham video game sort of uh, element to the movie. So it really feels like these guys were trying to give us some amazing fan service. These folks were trying to give us some stuff that many of us were clamoring for. It's like they heard that we've all been drooling over the Deathstroke Batman dynamic from the Arkham Origins game. And he was ready to give us a movie that adapted some of that feeling into the script itself, into the movie itself. And hearing Manganello say that and knowing that Affleck wanted to go there, it's just such like a pain in the ass for me. You know, I, I'm always going to go back to Zach, uh, Ben Affleck's departure is quietly one of the biggest stories in the in this insane lead up to this to the Zack Snyder Justice League. Because if you ask me, Ben Affleck's untimely departure is probably the main reason we're getting a multiverse at all. Because when we look back at the chronology of things, when we look at how we ended up here. One of the important stepping stones along the way comes in January of 2017. At this point, Zack Snyder is still the director of record on Justice League. He still hasn't shown that assembly cut in February. This is all a month before that. This is before the studio sees the assembly cut are unhappy with even a compromised version of Justice League and then bring in Joss Whedon to film stuff in the spring of 2015. This all predates that. In January of 2017, Ben Affleck abruptly drops out of writing and directing The Batman. And that was just, you know, that was just the initial announcement. We wouldn't know for a long time, maybe another two years, that he was actually completely done with Batman at that time. He was just asked not to say that much because that would kind of kill Justice League. You know, he, the studio didn't want Affleck's departure getting out until at least after this movie came out. So here we are in this weird situation where, where Ben Affleck is basically, he's tapped out. He's done. His personal life is, you know, in some dire straits. His professional life has now sort of been derailed. He had this wonderful comeback going before BVS, where after several years of being a laughingstock, after G. Lee and some of the other movies had kind of tanked his career early in the zeros, now, all of a sudden, he's back with the town and Argo, and he's winning Academy Awards, and suddenly Ben Affleck is like Hollywood's darling again. And then what happens? BVS comes out, the reviews are terrible, the movie itself becomes a bit of a punchline, there's memes about everybody hurts, and uh, then his actual passion project, Live by Night, gets completely it trashed by reviews, no one goes to see it, so despite his big decision to, I'm gonna go be Batman, uh, nobody actually goes and sees BVS, and then also goes to see Live by Night. You know, so... Like, he was just so burnt out on so many different levels. And then there's the interviews that you can go back and watch from the end of 2016, early 2017, where he just wants to talk about Live By Night, which is coming out in, you know, it came out at the very tail end of December or early January in 2016, heading into 2017. And all he wants to do is talk about Live By Night. But every single interview is about Batman this, Batman that, when's the Batman coming, who's the villain, what can you tell us? And Affleck hated that. 
He hated that this DC venture that he became a part of became the ultimate distraction from what he actually wanted to do with his career. Because look, he enjoys being Batman. We know that. He wanted to do that for his kids to see. He thought it would be a neat opportunity. He really bought into Zack Snyder's initial pitch that he made back in 2013 before things evolved a lot. He was really into Zack Snyder's initial pitch. But by the time we get to January 2017, Affleck is over it. He's a million miles over it. He wants nothing to do with this anymore. So in January, he abruptly drops out, which opens the door now for Matt Reeves to come in. And Matt Reeves negotiates with that current regime at Warner Brothers, with the people who are currently there. He negotiates to make a movie that exists on its own, that he gets complete creative control over. And even though they were lying to us for months, were acting like Ben Affleck was going to be in the Matt Reeves movie, Matt Reeves ultimately was able to make a Batman film that exists completely on its own. You know, and there were reports that when Walter Hamada was eventually hired, somewhere I think in December or January leading into 2018, Walter Hamada kind of wanted to talk to Reeves about, you know, is there a way to make this part of the grander DCEU? But Reeves was sort of adamant on making his own Batman his way, sort of separate of everything else that's come. And when you look at what's to come, when you look at the movies that are on the way, the Batman sticks out like a sore thumb. Because it's the only one that's not directly trying to build on what came before. Because even the Flash movie that's coming out, even the Flash movie, which is not directly related to the Snyder Cut, they're doing little things just to sort of, you know, loosely build on seeds that were planted, just push them in different directions. You know, Birds of Prey lightly continued what happened in Suicide Squad while also kind of shifting the tone and the focus of the movies, right? This Suicide Squad movie that James Gunn, that James Gunn is putting out is going to like, you know, loosely sort of pick up on seeds planted in David Ayer's Suicide Squad, right? Because it's bringing back the same Amanda Waller, the same Harley Quinn, the same uh, Rick Flagg. You know, the, the, they didn't, this isn't like a from scratch reboot. You know, in almost every case, even with James Wan's Aquaman movie, you know, he changed the costumes, he tweaked certain things about the storyline. But at its core, you can argue that this, you know, picks up on the seeds planted in earlier DCEU movies. The Batman is the only one that does not do that. And I feel like the fact that that's happening is what made Jim Lee and the people who eventually took over DC films go, well, then I guess we got to lean into the multiverse thing. I guess if we're going to have multiple Batman and if this Robert Pattinson Batman can't interact with Ezra Miller and can't share scenes with Henry Cavill or Gal Gadot, then, you know, we're going to have to just explain how that can happen. And I feel like the multiverse might have ended up, you know, it came from Ben Affleck's departure in a way. Because I'll tell you right now, if Ben Affleck stays, if Ben Affleck decided that he wanted to stay and reshape his The Batman movie so that it followed up more on the theatrical Justice League, I'm telling you right now, there would not be a Matt Reeves, Robert Pattinson, The Batman movie. 
You know, it's ultimately Affleck's decision to leave that created this whole space for that movie to exist and for it to exist on its own. So as we're looking back on the past and looking back at the different winding road that brought us to the Snyder Cut, we have to acknowledge that Ben Affleck's departure really set the tone for a lot of the big stuff that came afterward. Because even the Justice League theatrical cut would have was trying to find a way to get, you know, to that Deathstroke Batman story. You can almost feel like, you know, the, the fact that they included that tease at the end of the credits with Deathstroke coming and speaking to Lex and talking about the Legion of Doom. Like, from there, if Affleck had wanted to continue and shift his script a bit to incorporate the way that we're meeting Deathstroke, this new way in which we're meeting Deathstroke, we would have gotten that Ben Affleck Batman movie. You know, so that's the interesting thing in all of this. That little, quiet little fact that Ben Affleck being so over this has set in stone Matt Reeves the Batman and more than likely the multiverse itself interesting right i feel like no one really i feel like that gets lost in the shuffle when we talk about how we ended up here we forget how seminal to all of that affleck's departure was because even this upcoming flash movie is doing similar things to what birds of prey and the suicide squad did where it's keeping older elements in place they're bringing back billy crudup so that he could be Barry's father and they can continue on what was shown in the, the theatrical cut of Justice League. And there was a cool announcement like two days ago that Kiersey Clemens, who was cast to be Iris West, who was cast as the Flash's love interest back in the day, who we're going to finally get to see in Zack Snyder's Justice League because all her scenes were cut from the theatrical cut of the movie. Now we're going to finally get to see her in the Zack Snyder's Justice League, and now she will get to play Iris West in this upcoming Flash movie. So it's clear that the main studio, that Warner Brothers is not afraid of using elements from the previous DC films. You know, they've seen the success they, they had with Wonder Woman, despite her, her connection to Snyder. They've seen the, the success that they had with Aquaman a year later, despite his connections to Snyder. So they know that like not everything is broken. They know that you do not have to throw out the baby with the bathwater when it comes to the canon for these DC movies, that you can definitely keep certain elements and then just kind of shift them in the direction you want them to go. But the only place they can't do that is the Batman. And the only reason why is because Ben Affleck quit. So that's always going to be uh, just an interesting sort of what if scenario for me. And that's why too, like if by some miracle, they get him to come back for HBO Max and to do like a Batman miniseries or something like that. If they somehow do, I mean, that's going to be an amazing about face for Affleck to do because his decision to leave forced the studio to make all kinds of other decisions around that. So for him to now come back and say, actually, you know what? I know you created a whole separate space for a whole other Batman to exist, but, uh, I'm going to be Batman again anyway. <laughs> you know, like that's going to be fascinating. And no matter what, I'm going to want to see it because I wanted to see Batfleck. I wanted to see 
the potential of his world fulfilled. All the things that were teased in BVS and even in the theatrical cut of Justice League, all the things that were teased were things that like, I want to know more about this Bruce Wayne. I want to see him and his Alfred Moore. I want to see this Batman have more action sequences like that warehouse scene from BVS. I want like there's so much left on the table when it comes to this Batman that listen, despite my belly aching about his quitting and how that created this whole thing with the Matt Reeves, Robert Pattinson, Batman, despite my, you know, my annoyance at all of that. Listen, if they announce that tomorrow, I will be there with bells on to see a Batfleck miniseries, especially if they can get Joe Manganiello and follow through on what Affleck wanted to do with the Batman and Deathstroke sort of path, you know? So, yeah, I had to mention the Kiersey Clemens thing because it all goes to the point that Warner Brothers was willing to keep a fair amount of things from the earlier DCEU films, just reshape them. And if Affleck had been willing to play ball, we would be getting those Ben Affleck movies. And that's just the truth. But before I move on from all this Snyder, Snyder versy stuff, I feel like I want to just talk about what I hope happens in the days after, in the days after its release. My sincere hope is that if somehow it does end up becoming some huge success, in the weeks and months after its release and they decide that they want to do it, that they want to restore the Snyder verse and keep it going there on HBO max and do the air cut and all the other stuff we've discussed by all means, let them do that. But at the same time, those of us DC fans who are ready to move on from the Snyder verse, I hope we're allowed to do that. And I say that because right now, the climate has been for years now that if you're a DC fan who is happy to sort of move on from the Snyder era and you post anything about excitement you feel for upcoming DC projects, you kind of get called out for not supporting the Snyderverse. Or if it wasn't Snyder's vision for DC, then you're somehow wrong or bad or stupid or, you know, it, it, people have like, they're scared to say anything less than glowing. You know, the other day I was on the Multiverse Musings vidcast again to discuss Superman and Lois. And I had to mention that like Adam and Steven both had to like preface several observations with the phrase, and this isn't a knock on Snyder. This is not a knock on Zack Snyder. I just have to make sure you know I'm not insulting Zack Snyder or Man of Steel when I say this. And it's like, why do we have to be so afraid to share an opinion? You know, if the whole thing here is that we want artists to be able to have their artistic expression and for fans to be able to love and support the thing that they love peacefully, if that's what we truly feel, then why can't we allow people to feel differently than us? Why does, why, why does part of that desire for Snyder to get his creative control back and for Snyder to finish his vision... Why does your desire for that mean that you get to attack and vilify and harass anyone who's just kind of happy to move on? You know, like someone should be able to say clearly without being derogatory, if someone were, should be able to just say, hey, listen, Zack Snyder's Justice League is not my thing. I've seen it. 
I'm glad we didn't go that way. I'm really happy to see what happens next. They should be able to say that without fear of getting attacked by thousands of people and quote tweeted about that months and months later if they change their mind at some point. You know, that's the thing that I, I really hope changes after this movie comes out. I would love to see far less harassment, far less attacking of altering views and alternate opinions. Because honestly, as someone who's been talking about this stuff for weeks and months and years and years, uh, it's honestly sort of exhausting to have to walk on eggshells because you know that if you say anything in the online sphere that is anything short of Zack Snyder is God tier and all of his ideas were the best ideas ever... You're going to get swarmed and harassed and attacked and you're going to be told you're part of the problem and you, you're, you're against suicide prevention and you hate people who have feelings. Like, it's just like so many weird things get lobbed at you for simply not being a fan of that vision. So all I ask is we're all going to get to see Zach's vision on Thursday. I hope that we're all allowed to honestly share our opinions on it afterward without fear of retribution and without it becoming this toxic sort of venomous thing now. Where Oh, I, I said something that wasn't a rave review about a Zack Snyder thing. Here they come for me. You know, I'm over that part of it. I really am over that aspect of this. And honestly, the main reason I'm over it is because of how naive it is. I feel like a lot of people will go after critics and bloggers and YouTubers all based on a lie, all based on a misunderstanding of the importance of critics and bloggers and YouTubers and commentators, because we don't have the impact on the industry that you think we have. On top of that, we aren't special at all. We are you. Bloggers are just fans. Bloggers are just people who wrote to a website and said, hey, can I write for you? And maybe the website said, send a sample. Or maybe the website said, can you start on Monday? There is no like great blogger university where everyone goes and gets a degree and everyone is taught how to handle certain things and they're all indoctrinated into a certain thing. Bloggers are just fans who said, you know what? Instead of tweeting 20 or 30 things a day on this subject, I'm going to write it in a column and try to get it published on a geek fan site. Lord, Lord knows geek fan sites need content. They need clicks. They need someone to come visit. So a lot of geek fan sites will hire just about anybody. If you have free time on your hands and are halfway articulate, you can be a blogger too. You know, so I, I, there, there's this idea that bloggers are evil and that they're, what they had to say about BVS and Suicide Squad is how we ended up here and bloggers are the enemy of the Zack Snyder cut. But that is bullshit. Because look, Hollywood only cares about one thing and that's money. That's all they care about. And that's the thing that you keep losing sight of when you want to blame critics and bloggers. Because critics and bloggers have come out with pitchforks for all kinds of movies that have done incredibly well over the years. Look at the entire Fast and Furious franchise, which is about to release like Fast and Furious 27 next week, it feels like. You know, those movies have never gotten good reviews. They've always been made fun of for being one-dimensional 
car commercials with needless explosions and ridiculousness. And yet they always get greenlit for sequels. Why? Because they make the money that the studio wanted it to make. The studio got enough of a return on investment that they want to continue with that franchise. Same thing with the Transformers movies. Remember when Michael Bay was cranking out Transformers movies every couple of years? Each one got worse reviews than the last. But the box office was huge for a while there because fans don't really care what bloggers say. Fans don't really, you know, the general audiences don't pay attention to what the online fan community is saying. They're not interested. They're seeing the movie based on whether or not the trailers sold them or if it's, you know, characters or a plot line that has some sort of built in equity with them. That's what gets them to see movies, not some Joe Schmo on comic book resources wrote a mean article about Zack Snyder. So now I'm not going to go see BVS. That's not how this works works. If BVS would have made the amount of money that the studio was hoping it had made, we would have gotten Zack Snyder's Justice League 1, 2, and 3. We would have gotten the entire continued Snyderverse. Just look at Venom, okay? I vividly remember Venom had its own negative press. Bloggers and critics were jumping all over that movie, just like they were with BVS. I don't know if you remember this. But towards the middle to end of 2018, as Venom was on the horizon, lots of critics and bloggers were taking to their Twitter and to their YouTube channels to dog on that movie and make fun of that movie and and and, and complain about the fact that it's not connected to the MCU, so therefore it doesn't even really deserve to exist. There was all kinds of like negative coverage of the Venom movie in the weeks and months leading up to its arrival. And yet, what happened? That movie, despite all that negative buzz, that $100 million movie made $855 million at the box office because audiences showed up despite what the critics had said. And then what did Sony do? Sony already greenlit a sequel. They've already shot it. Venom, Let There Be Carnage got made. Why? Not because bloggers and critics loved Venom, but because the audiences showed up and it made enough of a return on investment. It only cost them 100 to $116 million to make Venom, and they made $855 million on that movie. Compared to BVS, which cost in the neighborhood of 250 to 300 million and only made 863 or 873. It's not nearly as large of a return on investment. So Warner Brothers had to go, okay, we can't steep, we, we can't keep sinking hundreds of millions of dollars into these movies just so we can make back 105 million bucks. Because that is the budget that BVS ended up making for the studio. You know, deadlines, accountants, and all those people, they, they went through all the books. And they were able to say that BVS only made Warner Brothers $105 million, despite the fact that they spent a quarter of a million at least making the thing. That is why the plans got scrapped. Not because of critics and bloggers and not because of whoever runs the social media accounts for Warner Brothers and all these things. So all of these harassment campaigns attacking anyone who works for Warner Brothers, attacking any critic or blogger who didn't love BVS. It's just so misguided. It's misguided hate. 
because these people are not how we ended up here. We ended up here because people just, general audiences didn't end up justifying sequels to BVS. That's how we ended up here. I know it's a tough pill to swallow because you hear $873 million. That's a lot. Of course, that's enough money. So the only reason they didn't continue wasn't because of the money. It was because of evil bloggers. But that just remind every time you feel the urge to say something like that or feel that way, just tell yourself to shut up because you're passing along a misinformed narrative. We would have gotten the Snyderverse if Man of Steel and BVS had both lived up to their full box office potential, okay? Just look at any other poorly reviewed, poorly buzzed blockbuster that's gotten a sequel as proof that bloggers and critics don't carry nearly the power that some of you seem to think they do. So let's, uh, let's just stop with the harassment. Let's move on. People are allowed to not like certain things, just like they're allowed to like things. Now, of course, if they cross a line, if it gets personal, if they're mocking and belittling Zack Snyder as a person, if they're making light of what happened with Autumn, if they're doing actual scumbag things, then come for them. Let them feel your rage and your fury. They deserve it. They're asking for it on some level. These lonely, attention-starved losers are only post such things because they're hoping that you'll acknowledge that they exist because they feel so insignificant in the world. So yes, when someone goes personal, let them have it. But if someone is merely just sharing an opinion that does not jive with your own and you attack them, now you are instantly in the wrong and you are part of the problem. And on some level, when I see that, I hope you don't get any more of what you want. And I just kind of had to mention that there because as we're now finally on the horizon of this movie coming out, I'm just thinking about the post-Snyder Cut world. You know, I hope that now... We can just respect one another and accept that we're in a place where everyone can get what they want. If this thing is successful enough and you want your Snyderverse, you'll get it on HBO Max. But let those of us who are happy with where the big screen stuff is going, let us be happy about that. And don't judge us and say we're not DC fans unless we're campaigning for Justice League 2. Because it's just not the case. This is a huge and diverse fan base and everyone has things that they like and things that they don't like. And we have to accept and embrace one another. I have no ill will for, towards the people who love Zack Snyder's vision and will campaign to the ends of the earth to see more of what he had. If you love those movies, I'm so happy for you and I hope you get what you want, but I hope you can be happy for me if I don't want to see any more of it after Thursday. But in an attempt to end things on a happier note today, I'm going to talk to you about something that I am excited to see a lot more of, and that is Superman and Lois. Folks, if you are still sleeping on this show, you are doing yourself a disservice. If you love Superman, you need to check out Superman and Lois. We are three episodes into this series, and I can't thank my lucky stars enough for what this show is. As I've been bringing up these last couple weeks, it honestly feels like a Superman show that I dreamt into existence. And this most recent episode continued that streak. 
with great Superman moments, great action, great story beats. The character feels recognizable and 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 he's depicted in the way that I love for Superman to be depicted. And more than anything, for someone who who has spent so many years just waiting for more time with Superman. This series is such a gift because it shows you the everyday life of what it is to be Clark Kent. You know, this third episode began with a with a heartwarming funny moment with the family trying to repaint the living room at the at their home in Smallville now that they've moved there. And all of a sudden amidst a little unplanned paint fight, Superman hears a bridge coming apart over in China. And he has to spring into action. And for once, we get to see what it's like after he leaves. And we see Lois and the boys there. And they have to acknowledge, they're like, well, I guess now that we know the secret, he doesn't have to hide it from us anymore. And it's such such an interesting dynamic to actually see this other part of Superman's life. As well as within the next few scenes, he's explaining how his super hearing works. And talking about the heat vision and what he thinks we should call it and kind of how he handles his powers on a day-to-day basis. You know, it's interesting to think that the television format, the TV medium might actually be what's best for Superman. It's interesting to think that as much as folks like me will love the movies, you know, and we'll see the Christopher Reeve films and we'll feel like those are like the great templates for what Superman can be, a lot of the better adaptations of the character have happened on the small screen. A lot of the biggest, most successful Superman properties ever have been on the small screen because it allows you to show the full breadth of what this character can be and and the interesting dynamics of his world and the balance of being someone who just wants to be a normal dude, but happens to have the powers of a demigod. The TV format is awesome for that. It's hard to do that in two hours. Give someone all of the heart and emotion that they want, as well as all the action and spectacle, as well as be able to put you inside those big red boots and have you kind of feel like what it would be like to have the responsibility of being Superman, giving a Superman that you can relate to and understand in very humanistic ways. You know, in movies, that can be a tall order. But in a TV series, we have all these hours with which to explore your character and to take the time to gradually develop this story. You know, to me, like I'm starting to think that this is the ideal format. A show like Superman and Lois is exactly what I'm going to need for the next couple of years to get my Superman fix. And it's just interesting to think all these years waiting for a proper cinematic reboot where I would then get like, you know, sequels every two years like everyone else does. Maybe that's not as fun as getting this show every week for 15 weeks a year. You know, I feel like I would sort of trade off and take this one because even just the simple things of like, you know, he wants to see what's going on with this tractor trailer and he just nonchalantly picks it up and looks under it and he sees the dash, the gash in it and he can try to fix it. Or later on when he's feigning being a weak Clark Kent and then as soon as other people are out of earshot and he's helping Jordan carry this big, his son Jordan carry this big water cooler. He leans over to Jordan. He's like, too much? 
as if like, am I, am I acting this up too much? Am I playing up the weak Clark too much? Like those little moments, like to me, it's like, it, it's so real. It feels so natural and it feels like these are the little Superman moments that I've always wanted to see depicted. You know, a day in the life of Clark Kent. And the show has those kinds of things as well as insane levels of superhero spectacle. He's rescuing bridges. He's fighting superhuman villains in every episode. He has fights that go up into the sky and crash back down to Earth. He has fights that end up going through walls and there's insane choreography. He did a Mortal Kombat combo on this guy in episode three. He froze him like Sub-Zero and uppercuts him and then just comboed him like all over the room using his super speed to just bounce him around like a pinball. And it was so cool. So it's like we get the really cool comic book-like Superman action sequences, but we also get those small tender character moments. And it's like, what an unbelievable story. So far, this series is exactly what I've been waiting for for so long, and it just, it feels unreal to me that we're three episodes into a show that, to me, feels like utter Superman perfection. So if you haven't checked it out, you owe it to yourself to check out Superman and Lois on the CW. And look, look what happens. I talk about Superman, and I instantly get happier. Yeah, and my mood just changes. And that's got me thinking about an announcement that's on the horizon. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm prepared to share a little more of it now, which is Revenge of the Fans is evolving and it's becoming Superman on film. Between this date and April 18th, which is the date that the very first Superman comic ever arrived. Superman made his debut in Action Comics number one on April 18th, 1938. So using April 18th as my milestone, I am planning on launching supermanonfilm.com. You can visit the site now, by the way. It's, you know, Superman dash on dash film a lot like our friends over at batman on film i was greatly inspired by what bill has done there using his love and devotion of batman to create batman on film and it made me realize that's exactly what i should be doing you know when, when i decided i wanted to throw my name in the hat and start a website with revenge of the fans part of what made that project hard for me to keep up with was that the scope was just too wide you know, I had to put together a team of people because I wanted to be able to cover all things geek. I wanted to speak to every type of fan base in the world. I wanted to talk to Superman fans, Batman fans, Marvel fans, Star Wars fans. Do you want to talk comics? Great. You want to talk movies? Great. You want to talk TV? Great. Like There were no limits. The Revenge of the Fans had a very wide scope and ambition for what it was going to be, but unfortunately... I'm not the guy to run that sort of thing. You know, I'm a content guy and I'm a guy who likes to like talk and likes to express himself. I don't know necessarily how to run a website as a business and to grow your readership and to do all the things that it takes to make a successful website. I don't know any of that stuff. So for me, as I was approaching like what to do with Revenge of the Fans and what to do to better focus my attentions here is, look, I love Superman. And it's no secret that when I talk Superman, y'all listen. 
Y'all like hearing me talk about my favorite guy, and I love talking about my favorite guy. So it dawned on me, wait a minute, it's time to focus all of my efforts on Superman. Now, that's not to say that the Fanboy Podcast is just going to become Superman 24-7. No, this show is going to stay the same. The same way it's been since February of 2017 when I first launched it, this is still going to be my private corner of the world to talk to you about what's happening in all of geekdom. But the website itself is going to be dedicated strictly to Superman, news related to Superman-related projects. All right. So Superman on film will be launching by April 18th. I have some things in mind, some bits of some things that might some content that is going to come out as part of that initiative before April 18th as sort of like a preview of things to come. Like, for example, this Monday, you're going to be able to download the official Superman on film audio commentary track for the theatrical cut of Justice League. For those of you who want to see the theatrical cut one last time before Zack Snyder's comes out on the 18th, you'll be able to listen to myself and Brett Miro, my old Revenger buddy, my longtime friend. We recorded a full audio commentary track for Joss Whedon's version of Justice League. And that's going to be the first bit of Superman on film content. And it's arriving this coming Monday, the week of the arrival of Zack Snyder's Justice League. So there will be little bits of content between now and then. But the full unveiling will not happen until April 18th when I'm done getting the site exactly the way I want it to get, which is good. I've got over a month now to get this site in the shape I want it to be, but I'm already extremely excited because it's so much more focused. It's so much more streamlined. Rather than figuring out the 20 different tasks I have to take care of a day that overwhelm and intimidate me, now I just know I have a Superman film site and whenever there's Superman news, I'm going to go and write about it there and share my news and analysis right there. So when people want to know what's going on, what my two cents are about what's going on with Superman, all they have to do is go to supermanandfilm.com because it's going to become a definitive place for news, reviews, and analysis of all things Superman. And that's something that I can definitely handle. And I can handle without feeling overwhelmed. And I can handle because at the end of the day, it's not a ton of work. I hate to sound like a, I hate to sound lazy in that respect, but you know, I always have a lot of different irons in the fires. I'm also preparing to launch my very own independent DJ business as opposed to working for someone else. I'm also taking a course and learning how to prepare my own business. I obviously have the two kids and my wife upstairs. I have banned things that I'm trying to make work. You know, I have a lot of different things I'm constantly working on, but the fact that Superman on film will only be something that I have to tend to when there's new Superman information, which let's face it, that's not every day. That makes this venture to me so sort of exciting because it means that when there's something awesome to talk about, I can talk about it, but I don't have to find things to talk about in between then. To me, that is such a relief. So now I'm going to narrow the focus of my coverage on Superman. So just keep that in mind. Superman on film will have its proper launch on April 18th of 2021. There is some preview content coming between now and then. For now, to be kept up to date on all things Superman on film, you can follow it on Twitter. Just like that. Superman on film. All one word. 
And there's also a Facebook page for Superman on Film that you can go like and follow in the meantime. And I'll be posting updates there as to how the site is coming along and all of that. So there you go, folks. The cat is out of the bag. After many different permutations and evolutions on what Revenge of the Fans could be or should be, I finally found the path that brings me the most joy and excitement, and that is turning Revenge of the Fans into Superman on film. And what I love about that also is there's years of Superman reporting on that website including contributions from the wonderful Matt Vernier and Jonathan Brady and any number of columnists like Trey Jackson and Josh Ligurn and Thomas Kelly and all these other wonderful writers who've contributed you know, literature on Superman and Justice League and all of that. And I didn't want to lose all that. So that will all remain active as part of the archive of Superman on film. Revenge of the Fans is not, you know, all of that content, all of the wonderful things that have been written over the years about Superman is all going to be part of the DNA of this site. So it's not a complete fresh start. There will be a full archive of Superman reporting for you to check out because this isn't erasing Revenge of the Fans. This is the next evolution and streamlining of what Revenge of the Fans is because rather than it being just about all fans ever, it's about what this Superman fan thinks of what's going on with our Man of Steel. So remember that Superman on film is on the way. And now, folks, I just another couple of cheap plugs. If you want to hear more on these subjects from me, you have you have options this week. Because once again, the Multiverse Musings vidcast has come out where myself, Stephen Marshall, and Adam Basciano break down the third episode of Superman and Lois. The new episode of the Hops and Box Office Flops podcast has arrived, and that has me, Thomas Kelly, and a bunch of his pals getting drunk and talking about Justice League, you know, the theatrical cut. Or as uh, Thomas calls it, the Joss Stash League. I kind of like that, the Joss Stash League. So, uh, yeah, you, there, there's plenty of content for y'all to check out if you're interested in hearing me go more long form on any of this stuff. But for now, keep an eye out for this coming Monday, the audio commentary of Justice League. And until next week, life is chaos. Be kind. Adios. Adios.